This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. Again, God bless all of you veterans. So, so honored that you're here tonight. Glad you made it. If you're watching live stream, we're glad that you're watching. If you're a veteran, we just want to say thank you again for all the sacrifice. Again, freedom isn't free. It costs something. So, thank God we live in a nation that loves its veterans. All right. If you need a Bible, once you raise your hand up real high, ushers that get you one. Once you get your Bible in your hand, go with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3, and as you're turning there, um, just a couple of quick announcements. The Operation Christmas Child is due this Sunday the 14th, and I don't know about you, I, I love watching the video of Franklin Graham's ministry to do that, and, and when I watch the, the pictures there, I, I love to look in the little eyes of children just to watch what it looks like, so if we show that video again, be sure and take note of that. Also, there's a partnership class this Sunday on the 14th, and then everything else you can check online. Well, we're going to give you an opportunity to give uh, pertaining to tithes and offerings. Again, I said go to the book of Proverbs chapter 3. Whether you believe this or not, this is, uh, this is one of the funnest things for me to do on Wednesday nights right here. I, I, spend, I spend quite a while just in my preparation for the tithes and offerings. It's, it's that big of a deal and so I, I want you to see what those scriptures say. I want you to get in it. And then once you get a hold of learning to honor God like God says, I'm telling you, your, your life becomes an adventure. I mean, it just comes an adventure. You know, uh, 40 years ago or so, I, I was at Bible school. And when I went to Bible school, they wanted you to look nice. And so I didn't have much to look nice. <laughs> I didn't own a suit. I didn't. And so, man, you would go to, go to buy those 2,000 students there, and you'd go in, man, people would be decked out. And so, man, I, I, wanted, I wanted a suit and a tie. And one day this guy showed up, and he said, uh, the Lord told me to give you these three things. And I looked, and they were three suits. And I mean those three suits. I think you think I'd been raptured. I was like, oh, Jesus, you're so good to me, so good to me. Well, one of the guys who lived in the apartment above me, he was in the same boat. He didn't have any suits at all. So he came down to our apartment, and he saw those, those suits, and he goes, golly, man, look at that. You're going to look nice, and da-da-da-da-da. Well, he left, and the Lord just spoke to my heart and said, I want you to give him one of those. And I played tug-of-war with God. I said, God, I don't want to give him one of those. I just got it. I, I haven't even wore it. I don't want to do that. Have you never told God, I don't want to do that? I said, Lord, I don't want to do that. Well, the Lord just kept pressing my heart to do it. And not only did he press my heart to give him one, he said, give him the nicest one. And I really was like, uh-uh, God, I'm not doing that. That's, uh, that's out of the question. And I said, if I brought him up here and said, which one you want, he would take that. I said, I'm not going to offer that one. No, I'm not doing it. Well, ultimately, I obeyed. And it was one of the funnest times in my life that the, the next day, it's cool, I saw him come walking in, and I mean, he was smiling, styling, and profiling. He was like, <laughs> and so I got so blessed, well, off of that, just off of that one seed, I never lacked for a suit again. God, God had always taken care of me. And there was one time in my life, this guy, he said, I want to give you this suit. 
And he gave me the suit. And any of you in here who's ever worn suits, I opened up the side of it and I looked and it said, Hickey Freeman. Now, if you've ever seen a suit or wore a suit, Hickey Freeman is the cat's meow, I'm telling you. And I looked at that and I thought, oh my gosh, he just gave me a, a Hickey Freeman. If you ever pull open one and you see Hickey Freeman, that, that's top of the, I was like, oh my God. I got to wear that thing for about a month and the Lord told me to give it away. And I was like, well, why don't you do that? And the Lord kept impressing on my heart because I want to keep being a blessing to you. So I read here in, in Proverbs 3. Now, pay close attention to what the Bible says, the scripture. Verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Now, that word honor has a meaning of my attitude. Honor is, is in my attitude. Obedience is in my action. And it's interesting. He said, honor the Lord with your possessions. So, man, when, when you bring your tithes, and it, it ought to be honor. You're like, oh, Father God. Whoa, yes, yes. And he goes on to say, and with the first fruits, now, now let me highlight first fruits. First fruits are your best. First fruits aren't your leftovers. First fruit says this, that I don't pay all my bills and whatever I have left, I'm going to tip God. First fruits are your very first one. So again, you're giving God your best. And many times we think, well, I, I, I don't know I can do that. If I did that, I may have more month than money. That's where there's a huge step of faith to say, Father God, before I pay my mortgage, before I pay my car payment, before I, I'm, I'm going to give you. And he said, the first fruits, now watch this, of all your increase. Now after the service, you're welcome to look at my Bible, but that word all, A-L-L, -L, is in orange. All my increase. So you know what that means? Every time I get increase, no matter where it comes from, I'm going to honor God with it. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, Father God, I get to honor you. Now, when I obey what he says in this area, watch verse 10. This is the result. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. And you say, I don't have a barn. I don't have a vat. Well, when I begin to look at this in other translation, it literally means every dimension of your life. Amen. Now, I have people say, ooh, I, I get excited about verse 10. Why don't we talk about verse 10? Why don't we sit on that? Well, the truth of the matter is, I can't go to verse 10 until I obey verse 9. You got to get in there and do that. And it's like I said a minute ago. Is it going to be a step? Of, it's going to be huge. And there's going to be days you feel like, man, my feet are hanging off the edge and everything. But I'm telling you, the more you honor him, the more you look and say, I'm going to take God at his word. Oh, your, your life will have a lot better adventures than Peter Pan ever thought it could have. I mean, your life will be so blessed. Well, there's one. Holy grunt. Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We honor. We thank you for your word in this area. And Father God, we, we give you glory and honor. Just, just tonight, right now, as we, we stand before you, Lord, I, I thank you for the provision that you've blessed every one of us with it. Thank you for a roof over our head. Thank you for clothing. Thank you for shoes. Thank you for 
a warm blanket, a bed. Thank you, Father God, for a hot shower. <laughs> the things, Father God, that we take for granted daily, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We have an appreciative heart, I'll tell you. I have a very appreciative heart. And all you who sent me letters about the shoes last week, sorry. <laughs> if you aren't here, I got over on giving people your shoes and all that, so... I wasn't meaning that to be ugly, all right? I, I put my name in there, too. You're in the book of Proverbs. Turn to Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13, and we're going to dive in this a little bit more tonight. We're on counterfeits. Remember, a counterfeit is an idol. Anything or anyone that we think will substitute only what God can do in my life. Now, as you're turning there, just a couple pages to, to Proverbs 13, to, to rewind just a little bit in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, John said this, all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So what happens with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes? I, I go into an area of pride, and I think pride a lot of times has to do with, with my titles, with my accomplishments, my, my achievements, my labels. And so he gives us warning here. Now, we start tonight in Proverbs 13, verse 10. By pride comes nothing but strife. Wow, right there. By pride, it leads to conflict. Now, in a Jewish commentary I was reading this morning, it, said, it stated this, that if you are a person that is constantly arguing you may need to examine your heart for pride. <laughs> Thank you, Eddie. <laughs> I looked at that, I thought, oh my goodness. Woo, you talking about locate me. So if I read this correctly, pride is the very ingredient that stirs up strife and quarrels. The end of verse 10. But with the well-advised is wisdom. So pride closes my ears to the advice of wisdom, but when I live with the robe of humility, I, I welcome wisdom. I, I welcome the counsel of the godly. And, and so when you read this right here, when he gets over on what he's talking about, you run with the wise, you'll be wise. You run with the fool, you're gonna be foolish. Turn a couple pages just to your right there to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16. You kind of get an idea a little bit about pride here, where we're going. Verse 18. Pride goes or precedes destruction. Now, oftentimes this verse is misquoted. People will say pride goes before the fall. That's not what it said. It said pride goes before destruction. Now, if I'm a person of pride, I might as well get ready. Sooner or later, destruction's going to come in my life. Why? The Bible says that. It's going to take place. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so when I become a person that's prideful, my boast becomes prophecy of my future failure. And the higher I lift myself up, 
the harder you're going to fall in disgrace. And so I said this a few weeks ago. I didn't even remember that. Someone quoted it to me. They said, oh, Pastor, you said something that stuck with me. And I said, what was that? And you said, you said that when you become haughty, it's going to make you naughty. And I said, I, I don't remember saying that, but I said, that's pretty good. So haughty will make you naughty. Now, as I read this right here, there's two words that stand out. The word pride is public manifestations. So when I have a spirit of pride on me, it's going to be an outward manifestation. It's going to be a public. People will be able to witness your pride. But the other one, uh, haughty or arrogance, arrogance is said to be internal. So with some people, you can locate it because, man, outwardly, it's man. But I believe the dangerous one can be that arrogance, that I live a lie on the inside. I, I, I act like, you know, a, a prideful person is very religious and arrogant. And, those are, and so again, that internal one is what gets us a lot of times, I, I believe. And so when I begin to look at all this, pride is like a drug. You, you got to have your daily fix. And so I want to talk about this a little deeper here. Go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 2. Way back there in the beginning. And what you see in the scriptures that pride and falling are closely linked. Now, I, I said this a couple weeks ago. That the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. They're found in the story with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. We're going to get there. Those three ingredients, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, those are found also in the temptations that the devil went after the Lord Jesus with in Matthew chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. You remember how Jesus combated those temptations? Every time the devil threw a temptation at him, you remember what Jesus would say? It's written, pal. Now, Powell's not in there, but he said it's written. It's written. And so I'm telling you guys, when, when the, the devil starts messing with you with, with temptations and stuff, throw the word of God back at him. It becomes a weapon. Where's that biblically? That's Ephesians 6, 17, 6, 18. The word of the spirit. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we start here, and I, I got to fill in the blank here a little bit. We start in, in Genesis 2. Verse 16, and the Lord commanded, he didn't suggest, he commanded the man, Adam, saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. Every one of them, free reign, buddy. But, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, I want to highlight just a little bit off the word surely die. If you were to study uh, Adam's life, I believe he lived to be 930 years old. So we know he didn't die physically. But that word right there that you will die, it literally means you will live a death-like existence that your relationship God, with God will be severed. So I've had this question come up many times where people would say, why in the world would God put two trees in the garden like that? Or you got all these good trees in this one bad one. 
Why did God do that? Well, the reason I believe God did that is he created every one of us in this room as free will beings. You know what that means? You get to choose. In other words, God didn't make me and you a robot. He, he didn't make us this breathing computer and he programmed us to do everything that, that we're uh, inclined to do there. No, he said, you get to choose. Now here's the thing with this thing called choosing. You get to choose, but whatever you choose, you choose the consequences that go with it. Mm, golly. May I ought to tweet that one out tonight. So we see right here the warning to this dude named Adam here. This one command. So now we jump to Genesis chapter 3. And as we go through there, I don't even think I'm going to have to highlight these, but I believe you'll begin to see the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent, the devil, so that is the devil, and if you hadn't figured this out, the devil's not your friend, okay? He hates you. His, his vision statement is John 10, 10, I come to kill, steal, and destroy. And so don't believe for a minute that the devil is this Hollywood actor that runs around poking people in the rump. That's not who he is, okay? He was more cunning and more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, or do I understand that God really said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And so he begins to kind of whack right there at the integrity and the character of God. So you know what he's saying? You know what? Is, is God withholding something from you? Is there more that God doesn't want you to be around? So again, just in a subtle way, he starts messing with her mind, her thought life. How's your thought life? Have you been dating the devil? Have you and the devil been romancing? <laughs> again, he'll go after you in your thoughts. Keep reading with me, verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent... We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. We can eat it. That's what God said. But of the tr fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, there's a little bit of a, a, a falseness about that statement right there. God didn't say anything about touching. He just said, don't eat it. But in order to eat it, you're going to have to touch it. So she starts telling him, this is what God said. Verse 4. Then the serpent, he said to the woman, you will not surely die. Are, are, are you kidding me? You, you're not going to surely die? So what you see here is God falsely threatened you with death. Verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes... Hmm. Your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
You'll be like knowing, uh, like God. So the word knowing here carries the sense of experiencing. So again, he's saying some stuff in here. God is withholding a good thing from you in order to keep you dependent on him. So the devil begins to put these thoughts in here. And you know what he's saying? You can, you can do it all your own way. You can determine what's right and wrong. You don't need God to do that for you. So when he says that, that's better, a.k.a. That's the pride of life right there. And his goal is to do this, is to get God where I, I leave him out of all my plans. I, I don't need God to help me. You're, you're smart enough without God. So he begins to cut the authority of God real quick. So as I begin to think on these lines here, many of you will remember, and this may date us a lot, but there used to be a, a game that people would play or kids would play on a playground called King of the Mountain or King of the Hill. And so you'd get to the top of the hill and everybody would try to come, you'd sling them off and you King of the Mountain, King of the Hill. Well, the truth of the matter is that childhood game is still around. It becomes the pursuits we do to whatever it takes to get to the top. Anything it takes for me to get to the top. And right here, the result becomes disastrous. And we have this illusion or this thought that freedom is doing whatever I want to do. That's not freedom, okay? That, that becomes bondage. So we begin to get an idea of what's going on here. And so we jump to verse number six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. The woman saw that it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes. And we know what happens when she looked, she took, and she ate. This is what begins to happen with the lust of the eyes. So when we look at something long enough, we, we have that desire for it. And before long, we're going to act on it. We're going to go after it. And a tree desirable to make one wise. The word wise here, or her definition was human self-rule instead of God dependency. I, I want to be wise in the world's eyes. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and that they knew that they were naked. They gained an awareness that brought them not the promised knowledge of God, but embarrassment. Now think about this, and I'm, I'm not trying to be crude in any way. They had always been naked. Always. And now because they disobey God, they have this shame that comes upon them. They, they have this guilt that comes upon them. The voice of their conscience is awakened. Now, I, I believe that God puts in every one of our DNA our conscience. And when you violate something that you know that you're not supposed to do, 
Your conscience convicts you. How many of you ever had your conscience convict you? Ooh, that's, that's a good thing. You know, you know, when your conscience convicts you, that means you know, I, I trespassed. I went somewhere where I wasn't supposed to. So I'm in a situation not long ago, and this, this lady is at a cashier. She's a cashier, and she's real busy, and she messes up on what she's supposed to give this guy back. So they bring the manager up, and, and they start taking care of her, and then she turns to me. I, I haven't paid her a dime. I hadn't done anything. And she says, oh, I owe you this and this. And so she starts giving me money back. And I'm thinking, bingo, wow. God is really wanting to bless me. I made money by coming here to eat. And there was a guilty conscience that triggered me. I went, Toof. And I looked at her and I said, ma'am, excuse me. I said, you don't owe me anything. I owe you. And she looked at me and goes, and as she stared at me, she looked and goes, thank you for your honesty. She said, when my register doesn't balance, it comes out of my paycheck. Thank, thank God that DNA comes up. So, the DNA begins to try to come alive within them and, and they start sensing the shame and guilt. But, but God's not the author of shame and guilt. When our conscience convicts us, you know what God's saying? Just confess your sin. Re repent. Repent. Stay, stay before me. Verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Why do you hide? Because you know you've done something wrong. It's like as a daddy, when you come home from work and you're expecting all the kids to come out running out and see you and you can't find them, they're all under their bed hiding. You realize, what have they done wrong today? But see, that's what took place when Adam and Eve, they, they hid. It, it broke their fellowship with God. Verse nine. Then the Lord God called to Adam and he said to him, where are you? Now, God wasn't asking where they were out of ignorance. God was asking this and better stated, what have you been doing? Now, here's a little insight on that. God knew what they'd been doing. God knows what we've been doing. So you know what the heart of God is? Confess your sin to me. Confess what you did, and it reestablished that relationship back in your life. Now, when I choose to not repent of the lust of my eyes, the lust of my flesh, it leads to pride. It will lead to a hard heart. How do you know that? Watch this, then we skip to verse 12. Adam and Eve wouldn't repent. So the man said, the woman which you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate. You know what pride says? It's not my fault. It's not my fault. And if you really want to hone in here what Adam said, you know what he did? He said, it's that woman that you gave me. Wow. Wow. That's 
pride. Pride says, I don't, I don't want to take responsibility for my choice. I don't want to take responsibility for my actions. But watch verse 13. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? Repent, repent. But the woman said, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Sometimes we give the devil a lot more credit than he deserves. The only devil that made her do was the little devil she was looking at in the mirror. Herself. And so when you look at this whole passage here, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. So I I jotted some things down that I begin to see on this. Pride won't repent. It, It doesn't take ownership of my choices. And because of that, the longer I go, the harder my heart will get. Pride will just... Turn with me real quick to Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. And as you turn to Isaiah 14, let let me highlight a a passage of Scripture. The Lord said this in 1 Peter 5.5. He said, I give grace to the humble but I resist the pride or proud. You won't find anywhere in the Bible where God resists the sinner, the drunk, the adulterer, the thief, but he said, I'll resist the proud or the prideful. Why does God do that? Because pride to God is leave me alone, cologne. It's the sin of get away from me. Why is that such a big deal? Watch this. Isaiah 14, verse number 12. How you are fallen from heaven. Now remember what we said, or the scripture said, before haughtiness or arrogance, there'll be a fall. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you cut or threw down to the ground. You who weakened or tried to destroy the nations. Now watch this. For you have said in your heart, you've said about yourself, I will ascend into heaven. Now what he does here, he gives these five I will statements. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt or set my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mountain of the congregation. I'll even be over the angels on the farthest side of the north. I will descend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. So pride and self-centeredness And his rebellion was voiced in five I will statements here. So the two things that got him, number one was pride. The rule would be his own. Or two, a self-will that asserted in his his interdependence from the most high. You know what I said? I don't need God. I don't need God. So when you read Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 14, what we read, that's why God cannot stand pride. The devil is the author of pride. And and pride becomes rooted and grounded 
you know how the root of pride is? You know what I found this out? The root of pride is birthed in insecurity. Insecurity says, I must let everyone know my accomplishments, my titles. I must let everyone know everything I've got. But again, we must remember with pride, there's going to be strife. So when you look at this, the word success is prestige, or a prestige that comes from an elevated social status. Look at me, look at me, look at me. So years ago, there was a guy in the church and I was out in his house and he started showing me all the things that he had. I mean, he had so many things, cycles and boats and jet skis and Man, I mean, he started just, and he, he kept talking about everything he had. And finally, I looked at him and I said, can I speak to your heart? I said, your identity is not in those things. Your identity has got to be in Jesus. Your identity is in your who, not your do. Who I am in Christ. And you know what he said to me? He said, I've always wanted people to look at me as a success, as, as a great businessman. I've always wanted people to view me as somebody. And you know what I said to him? I said, no, no, no. You're looking at all these things to make me feel important instead of God. Oh, only God can do this. Let me end with this real quick. Years ago, there was a bunch of us pastors, and we, we all had a desire to go to pastor's conference, but when you got there, you had to stay in a hotel. And most of us didn't have the money for hotels, and we said, man, I wish there was something we could do to get hotels cheaper. Well, this one guy sitting at the table, he said, I got something you can do. And we said, what's that? He said, we can all, you can all become travel agents. I thought, travel agent. He said, yeah, he said, I'm with a group out of Coral Gables, Florida called Clergy Travel. Clergy Travel. And he said, what you do is you go in and you pay $75 every year. And what they do to that, they make you a member of Clergy Travel and they give you this thing called an IOTA number. So he said, this is how it works. You call the Holiday Inn in Dallas and you say, hey, what's your rate for November 15th? What's your rate? And they say, $99. And you say, well, do you offer a travel agent discount? And they say, yeah. What's your IOTA number? So you tell them that number and then they say, well, we'll give it to you for $39.99. Woohoo! we saved a bunch of money. So we all become travel agents. Pack of us, pack of us pastors, we're, we're with clergy travel. Well, they say this to you, that when you show up at the hotel, you gotta have a business card that has that I ought a number on it to prove you're the real deal. So I had this genius thought with my, I had a thousand business cards made up and it had clergy travel on it, it had my name, had the I ought to, and then down at the bottom, I thought, I'm really going to impress them. I put regional director. <laughs> you know how many people I had working for me in travel and clergy travel? Zero. None. 
there was no one even in my family that probably knew I was even part of that, let alone a regional director. But you know what I thought? I thought, you know what? When they see that, they're going to think, this dude, he got the power. He done got nothing. So what happens many times in our life, we start saying that and we start talking about our titles and many times our titles are nothing but a form of pride. Oh, golly, I got to quit. I got a jillion stories to tell you. Stand up on your feet. Oh, my goodness. See, just, yeah, that's the goodness of God. Just the goodness of God. Why don't you bow your head? Father God, right now, we... We welcome you in here, Lord, and Father, if there's things in our life that have, have led to bondage in the air, the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, Lord, we ask that you would move. And Father God, if there's any ounce of pride within us, of arrogance, of haughty, woo, if you feel comfortable, raise your hands with me. Father God, grace us to to pull that root up through your power, through your love. And Father, right now, we ask that you would put on the robe of humility on every one of us. That, Lord, you said that you give grace to the humble. And so, Father, even right now, that if there's area of our lives that we become hard-hearted and we won't repent of, Lord, I, I pray right now, you soften our hearts. And the goodness of God leads us to repentance. And Father God, if we've tried to blame and, and, and fault others for our choices, we repent of that. We ask you to move in this area. We ask you to help us in this area. And again, Father God, bless us with a, a heart that's tender in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.